Jesus never intended to only make converts. Jesus never intended to only make Christians. The reality is, though, we often settle to be Christian. But the truth is, Jesus came to make disciples. I like how Andy Stanley says it when he says this, most of us settle for being Christian. Being a Christian is easy. I mean, uh, we believe that Jesus Christ came, lived a blameless life, He died our death on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Through his death, his burial, his resurrection, we believe that he paid for our sins and overcame both sin and death, being victorious through the resurrection power. And because of that, he reigns as king over all the world. And as Christians, we believe that because of his work, we are saved. But here's the challenge. Scripture also says that demons believe that. Hmm. Do you realize that Jesus never used the term Christian? It's actually only used three times throughout Scripture. And in Jesus' context, in in the days following his death, burial, and resurrection, it was used almost as a derogatory term, but to associate people with that party. Christians, the ones who follow after, they live the way of Jesus. They're like Jesus. But Jesus never called us to be Christians. N.T. Wright says it this way, The point of Christianity is not to go to heaven when you die, but that God has come to live with you. The point isn't that eternity isn't true. That's not what N.T. Wright is saying. He's saying that we don't live, we don't approach our faith as any more than just a get-out-of-hell-free card, right? Never intending to fully surrender our lives back to God, to fully lay our lives out for God to work in us and through us. Here's the tension. What is the intention behind believing in Jesus? Why do, why do Christians talk about believing in Jesus? Well, because when Jesus talks about belief and when Jesus talks about faith, when Jesus talks about following after him, what Jesus is speaking about is this, that when we believe we would accept the truth, it's a matter of knowledge, what we would know, right? That we would align our will, our heart, conviction, right? And we would follow God's will, we would be obedient. Belief place from from our head to our heart to our life, that we would be the kind of people that would be fully transformed by this belief that what we believe to be true would would affect what we do. Uh, Let me illustrate it this way. If I go into my favorite sports bar and I see a high-top chair, a bar stool at a high-top table, my belief is that this chair was created to bear the full weight of my body on it. It's what it's designed to do. Now, I can believe it and say, yeah, this is a chair that people can sit in and they'll hold it. But is that really belief to just recognize it? It's not what Jesus is describing. Well, maybe maybe if I begin to kind of lean on it, you know, maybe one cheek at a bit, right? You know, is, is that belief? Or maybe if I get two cheeks, right? Belief is when we 
take the full weight of our life and we place it in this chair, that the chair is able to do exactly what it was designed to do. No feet on the floor, no leaning up against it, but the full weight of our lives. When Jesus talks about belief, Jesus is describing a follower, a disciple, a student who not only recognizes who God is, experiences the conviction of his heart, but literally transforms his life through the power of God working in him, through his obedience, and he is placing the full weight of his life into the hands of Jesus. A disciple. Maybe we would want to describe it a little bit like this. A disciple is someone who is actively loving God and others for the sake of advancing God's kingdom. A disciple, a student, an apprentice, someone who's literally walking in the way of life that Jesus modeled learning to live as he would live. If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you uh, to jump into Luke chapter 14. Now, Luke chapter 14, Jesus has just shared a parable, you know, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And it's a story of a man who invites people to a banquet at his home. And you know what? All the invitations go out and everybody's too busy. They got too much on their schedule. They love the invitation, but they, they don't come to be at the table. So this, this, this inviter, this person says, well, go back out and get more people to come. And so they begin to go out and they go beyond their neighborhood and they start to reach out to even some, some people that may be acquaintances or strangers and they invite them and the table's still not full. And so he sends them out again to reach anybody from everywhere to come just so the table could be filled. And Jesus is describing this portrait of how God desires all to be at the, his table. But some of us, we're just thankful for the invitation, but we never really sit at the table to experience that presence of being with God. And so he makes this statement about, about what it means to be a disciple and the cost of literally surrendering our life to God. Here's what he says in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to him, he said this, if anyone and comes after me or follows me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You know, Jesus gives invitations to people following him all throughout Scripture. Sometimes it's a grieving man. Sometimes it's a, it's a wealthy person that's really trying to, to prove his value before God. Sometimes it's a group of fishermen who are about to walk away from their entire career to follow after him. Sometimes it's this tax collector who literally walks away from his life but begins to pursue the life of Jesus. But Jesus is kind of drawing a circle in this moment of life. And he says, do you, want, do you want to know what it looks like to be a disciple? And he says this. You have to hate your mother and father. 
You have to hate your, your, your wife and your children, your brothers and sisters. And Jesus is using hyperbole. It's an exaggeration to catch their attention. And after, what he's trying to say is, your love for God, your pursuit of life through me should be so obvious that anything else looks like hate. We begin to realize that what Jesus is saying is, for the disciple, the standard is love. To love God and to love others. Love God first. There should be no greater allegiance than the love for God. Second of all, for the disciple, the response to this call is accountability. Jesus is saying that our love should be so great, but there is a responsibility that we too take up our cross. And literally what's happening in the day of Jesus, they are experiencing persecution and challenge. And he, when he takes up his cross, will actually give his life for this cause. And so will many who followed closely to him. And Jesus follows up with a couple of illustrations. One, one's about building a tower and understanding that you can't just jump into a task like that. You have to understand the commitment. And the second is, is going to battle. The understanding that this battle of our life may be greater than what we can understand. When we step into a battle, we, we need to negotiate peace. And of course, that peace for us has been negotiated by Jesus. That we were found in our sins in Jesus Christ paid his price with his life for us to have peace. Jesus is speaking very plainly, and he gets right to the point when he gets to the, towards the end of this passage, and he says these words in verse 33. In the same way, those who do not give up or surrender everything, you cannot be my disciples. The salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? If it is neither fit nor soil or the manure pyre, it is thrown out. Whoever has hear, ears, let them hear. As Jesus makes this confrontation, he closes up this portrait of effectiveness of a disciple, one who has counted the cost, who has found peace in God, that this is who we are called to be. See, salt, salt can't be diluted unless it's watered down. In the region, in the time of Jesus, it was understood that salt could hold its effectiveness for up to 15 years on its own. And so Jesus is pointing this picture of those who take up our responsibility to follow after Jesus, those who have proclaimed that our love for God and God alone is played out in our life through surrender before him, that there is ultimately for us this effectiveness to transform and change the world. So why be a disciple? I mean, why do we settle for just being a Christian? Because it sounds like this challenge of being a disciple is so difficult and so hard. Why would we choose to be a disciple? Because it's the life that we were created to experience. That when we believe in the sacrifice and the death burial in Jesus Christ, we understand that we were created for our life to be placed into the hands of Jesus. And through a full surrender towards him, we begin to live out that truth in every portion of our life. That's why John writes in his gospel, when he speaks about the activities of Jesus, he says it this way. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Not just life ordinary, 
but life abundant and full. That just as Jesus was sent to be an example for us, we are now being sent to live a life that lives out the true life found in Jesus. That means for me, as a Jesus follower, everything is laid at the feet of Jesus when it comes to my life. That means as a husband, I'm to serve my spouse as if I'm serving God. As a father, it means I have a responsibility to lead my children towards God and their faith. As a friend, I should honor you as if I'm honoring Jesus. And as a stranger, I should acknowledge you. You are created in the image of God. We accept the invitation of discipleship. We are signing up to a grander mission of our life than what we could create on our own. We accept the co-mission of Jesus to go, to make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded us to do. So friends, when I read this passage, I have to begin to realize that I cannot prioritize my comfort but I need to pick up my own cross and follow after Jesus. I cannot compromise my life for my friends anymore, but I need to live a salty life, bringing God's value into this world through my actions and my obedience because of God's grace. I cannot simply be interested in spiritual things anymore, but I need to count the cost and pay the price that God's calling me to. No longer can I simply sit and take When it comes to my faith, God has called me to go and make disciples with my faith. So as a church, we have paused to wrestle with what that means, this call of discipleship to us, to go beyond settling of being Christians, but living out as followers, disciples of Jesus. And we we felt like it was time to update our mission statement, the calling that all of us share. Our mission at first is this. Our mission is helping each other follow Jesus. See, discipleship, becoming a disciple, is not just something I do on our own. It's something that the people of God collectively do. And the calling for us to be fully surrendered to Jesus, to lay our lives down, to allow him to transform our lives, is a calling that should unite us together for his glory and his honor and for the sake of hope to the world around us. Now, I want you to take a moment, if you will, and I'm going to share with you an interview with our teaching pastor, Eric Friedman, and a few of our elders who have spent years, some growing up in this church, some coming to faith in this church, but the truth of the matter is, their declaration of our new mission takes who we have been and begins to press us forward as a church to be who we have been called to be. The disciples, the followers of Jesus, helping each other follow Jesus. What's up, church family? I am joined this morning by three of your elders, your leaders. And ironically, you guys probably are more familiar with me than you are them. But they are joining us today to kind of help us talk through this change in our mission statement here at first. And so before we go anywhere, before we do anything else, uh, it's probably good for them just to get to know you guys. And so uh, why don't you guys start, just give the the people your name, uh, how long you've been attending first, and how long you've been an elder. So Scott, why don't you start us off? 
Yeah, uh, my name's Scott Trumbull. Uh, my wife Stacy and I have been uh, coming here uh, for many years, and uh, I've been an elder for uh, five or six years, I believe. So very cool. And Mike Larson, uh, my wife actually brought me to the church when we got married. That was about. 25 years ago, I think both of these gentlemen knew my wife as a youngster. Um, so yeah, I've been attending a little over 25 years and I've been serving as an elder for the last three to four years. My name's Tom Ewing and uh, I've been coming to First Christian almost 60 years and I've been an elder off and on for 10 or 12 years. Very cool. So one of the things I'm always just curious about is, you know, uh, you guys as elders, you do a lot behind the scenes. Some of you do stuff on Sunday mornings as well, but a lot of your leadership as elders is, you know, weekday meetings and making decisions and that type of stuff. So I'm just curious though, like what is in your time and experience with FIRST, what's like one of your favorite things just about our church as a whole? Uh, for me, it's um, all the people that, have invested in me. You know, I've been uh, coming my whole life. So, so uh, I had a lot of people uh, teaching me about Jesus, helping me uh, grow in my faith, and and uh, so that's been you know very important to me. It means a lot. Uh, one of the things that excites me the most is the the children's ministry. Actually, that's an area where my wife and I got involved very early on um, when I joined. She was already involved, but we both stepped up, and I did that for a good long while. We've always had a, an outstanding children's ministry, so I think that's that's an area that really excites me, and we continue to have that. Shout I mean, out to Jackie and her team. So. Amen. Um, and then, like Scott said, really the big thing though is is the people here. This is this is home, and when you come here, you you feel home. It's it's hard to imagine not being here. So. Yeah, I think uh, I really agree with Scott because um, uh, the people here many years ago introduced me to Christ and um, my family at that time was not involved in the church. So I really feel like uh, the people here are my Christian family and uh, makes the uh, the stay at home thing harder to deal with. But we're glad that we can finally see each other again here pretty soon. That's cool. Pretty neat. So, so one of the things that uh, you guys as elders, I would say is, maybe a job description is just helping lead the church and making sure that we're fulfilling our our big mission as a church. Now, we would maybe describe that as disciple making, Jesus's great commission. Uh, most churches maybe word it in a different way. But when you think about a thriving, healthy church, one that we might say is on mission, like it's hitting its target, what, what would you say that that church looks like? What is that church doing? What is that church pushing forward in that circumstance? Um, to me, it means that um, we're kind of showing Christ in our community. We're helping uh, people realize that uh, the love of Jesus is out there for them, that, that uh, uh, they don't have to try to do this alone because we can't. Mm -hmm. We need Christ, and and um, beyond that, outreach outside our doors to bring people in. Then we're all working together to grow to be more like Jesus. That's good. And a important piece of that, which we're obviously here to talk about, is that we're all rallied behind uh, 
a common mission. Mm -hmm. And it's important that, that the entire congregation understand what that is and that we're all unified behind that. And we understand it and we understand what role we play in achieving that, that mission in the mission statement. So as, as, as Scott said, you know, we're, we're all here to, to understand Christ's missions for the church mm -hmm. and to become disciples. And again, how do, how are we as first Christian fulfilling that mission? Yeah, the guys are right. We need to be careful to not uh, define the church as what happens here on Sunday mm -hmm. morning. And so we want to make the mission statement simple. We want it to be on people's mind all the time when they go about their daily uh, routine, and when they come mm -hmm. in contact with people at work, at play, at, at school, wherever they are, um, so that the role of Christ in their life is obvious to everybody they come in contact with. Yeah, it's so good. I love how you just said, like, you know, our our job as as leaders and, and for people leading the church is not just to say, hey, here's this thing you can do for an hour on Sunday. We hope you like it. Maybe you'll come back. Maybe you'll lean in more. Rather, it's to build up this this lifelong desire to be like Jesus. And so, you know, Danny just talked about the difference between maybe just claiming to be a Christian, the someone who maybe um, just kind of shows up on a Sunday, but their life isn't fully invested so much. But when we look at Jesus, he was always very strong and very direct about what it means to be one of his followers, right? Deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, right? He didn't say pick up your cross one day a week, every single day and follow after me. So maybe just, just kind of overarching, like why is that a passion of first? Why is that a passion for you guys as men and, and our leaders in that differentiating? We don't want to just, just be Christians who say, I wear that name tag, but we also want to be marked as disciples. What does that look like and mean for you guys? Um, I guess um, the way I look at it is Jesus uh, loved me so much that he, he became like me. And he took my identity on himself and paid the price for my sin. Yeah. And so, uh, so I need to try to take his identity on, on mm. myself and, and become more like him so I can help others know about that love. Yeah. And I think a big part of what it looks like is to, to be a disciple is it, it takes action mm. and it takes intentionality. You know, coming to, Coming to services on Sunday is a way we learn and grow individually, but discipleship is about taking that forward to a world that is lost and to people that are hurting. And that is something that, like like Tom said, we have to do daily. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a cross we have to bear and we have to be intentional about it. And it don't get me wrong, it's hard. Yeah. Uh, the message was to do it daily was a good reminder because Jesus knew how hard it was gonna be to do that. Yeah, and I think, too, even in my life, this has changed quite a bit in American society. It used to be more or less everybody went to church on Sunday. Stores weren't open. There wasn't a lot of competition for your time. Now we, as everybody knows, the kids are involved in all kinds of activities on Sunday. Um, uh, not everybody goes to church. Mike just mentioned the the world is really you might say in chaos right now, and we have the answer for that. Um, 
And as Danny mentioned earlier, you know, Christ mentioned that it, this was not going to be easy mm -hmm. and that sometimes we might even have a conflict with our family, our friends, but that uh, we're not to give up on our goal of becoming more like Christ and bringing others to know him because uh, in this age of all these questions that society has, we have the answer. Yeah, that's so good. So, so one of the things that we, that Danny kind of announced uh, today and um, that we kind of want to like, one of those things where we want to honor the past, but also say we're also moving forward. And so we're, we officially made a change in our mission statement, which is uh, moving from our former one to our new one, which is simply helping each other follow Jesus. So Tom, I would love to just hear from you really briefly. You know, you probably were involved or at least around when the old mission statement was was put together you know, when you hear that, you know, we're changing the mission statement, just kind of what goes through your mind um, in this moment? Well, as I recall, when we came up with the original mission statement, it was something fairly new. We wanted to put it on the wall. And as everyone was contributing their ideas to what it might be like, we, we kind of didn't want to leave something out. Yeah. And as a result, it, it came kind of lengthy and kind of cumbersome. And so over time we've questioned you know is that the best way to do it is it simple enough mm -hmm. do people just kind of see it and go ah it's kind of hard, too hard to remember so that's why the simpler one the one that's more basic that uh, hopefully we can have on the tips of our tongue or uh, i shouldn't say that at the forefront of our mind as we go about our daily daily routines yeah and so uh scott you could probably speak to this a little bit um so like behind the scenes this has been something we've been working and praying through and, and reading scripture, uh, uh, some of our staff and, and elders about this change. So, you know, this wasn't taken lightly. I think that's an important thing. It's not like we just last week decided, let's make a change or whatever, but it's like, no, like there was intentionality behind it. And so as maybe you reflect over this process, maybe it, was there something that stuck out to you or something about this shift that, you know, helped us all to say, hey, this is going to help us be on mission more or better or more consistently. Yeah, as well, as Tom mentioned, the, the making it simpler is a big part because, you know, that mission statement should be every decision we make should mm -hmm. be, okay, is this accomplishing that or, or moving towards that mission? So simpler helps us keep that in mind. But I think one of the other things that, that I really appreciated about it is, is it's um, helping each other. Mm. You know, it's not because all of us are sinners. We've all, we all struggle at times and, and, and we're all, we're helping each other as a body. I need your help to help me grow to be more like Christ. We're helping each other and we're doing it together. Good, that's good, Mike. What can you remember anything from just this process at all that stuck out to you? Uh, yeah, I can remember something very vividly. So during the process, uh, Eric gave me a quiz, <laughs> and the quiz was, Mike, what's our mission statement? And I got to be honest, I failed one hundred percent. Not a hundred percent. You got like a lot of the words, but not all of them. Well, maybe I'm being a little hard on myself, yeah. but I realized that. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty disheartening when the elder can't remember the mission statement. Yeah. And so for me, 
really the simplicity. I, I have a hard time remembering things, period. But having something, again, that, that's at the forefront of your mind all the time really was one of the overriding factors. And it was something that, again, we want the entire congregation to know and embrace. Very cool. So, and Scott, you had just said something that, that I think is super important that uh, I think sometimes we forget that following Jesus isn't just about me and my personal faith, but that it includes all of us, right? That you know, my job as a disciple isn't just to make sure that I'm following Jesus, but it's to help my brothers and sisters in faith and that type of stuff. And so I'd love to hear from you all quickly. This is kind of like our last question uh, for today is, is how, what is the importance of discipleship as a church body being on mission in both that personal and that corporate community aspect of following Jesus. So how, how would you kind of say like, man, this is why um, it's, it's, it's key that we realize it's, it's both and not either or. Um, well, I guess my tendency, and I think a lot of us, our tendency on our own is our thoughts and our, our eyes kind of revert to ourselves. Mm. We're thinking about ourselves. At least I do. Uh, but guess what? When I'm, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I got to take my eyes off myself and put my eyes on him. Mm. And that helps me have an outward focus. And then I realize, guess what? There's a lot of people beside me that, uh, that maybe I can help too. And so uh, it helps me have an outward focus. So, so I can show, hopefully show love like Jesus yeah shows us so good yeah and there there's a lot of reasons that's as important to do it both corporately and individually mm -hmm. a, a big one for me though is i if i don't have that corporate support i'm not i'm gonna fail as an individual and i i can go out today and probably do it a day or two but i really need a family a community to come home to that can encourage me when, when i go out and i feel like i failed as a disciple you know, they can encourage me, they can provide me food and motivations, you know, to get back out there. And if you don't have both pieces, it's, it'll be very difficult to be a successful disciple. Yeah, and even though the, the new statement is simple, we don't want people to feel like we're just saying, okay, now we made it real simple for you, so it's easy to do. Oh, that's good, um, yeah. And both guys alluded to, we really need to lean on each other, mm -hmm. uh, ask for help, ask for somebody to come alongside, hey, you know, I've got this situation. Can you help me or can you give me some advice? Uh, we want everybody to know, of course, that we're available, but also uh, that we rely on, on our congregation as well and everybody that gathers here. Well, I want to say, hopefully on behalf of our church, um, that, man, we, we love you guys and we are so grateful um, for everything that you guys do. Um, I know me personally, just as a staff member, as one of the pastors here, just greatly appreciate your guys' leadership and your heart uh, for Jesus and this church. And I think it shows. And so uh, just thank you for the time and the energy that you guys put into this. And you have been for, for years. It's just pretty awesome, pretty unique. And so one of the things that we would like to do um, this morning as we as we wrap up is partake in communion together. And so if you're at home joining us or if you're actually uh, in one of our venues uh, today, uh, we wanna invite you to partake in communion with us as well too. And so uh, we're gonna go ahead and get our communion elements ready here. Everyone just go ahead and open crinkly noise at one time. Um, 
And so Jesus on his last night, his last supper with the disciples, uh, he picked up the bread and he take it, he took it and he broke it and he said, uh, take and eat, do this in remembrance. And likewise, at that same moment, Jesus took uh, the juice, he took the cup and he held it up and he said, take and drink, do this in remembrance of me. Together, these elements represent for us what bonds us together as Christians, right? The body of Christ broken for us, the blood of Christ shed for us. And it's that gospel, it's that good news that we're sitting up here today that we're on mission to help each other follow Jesus. And so uh, I'd love to pray for us and we'll continue on with our service this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, you and we thank you for how you sent your son on our behalf to redeem us, to rescue us, but not just so that we can say one day we will be with you in eternity, but that's the life that you call us to now. Lord, I thank you for our leadership here at first. Was a desire to see people not just say yes, but say yes every day of their life, every moment, every opportunity, every relationship circumstance, that it is a chance to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow you. Lord, be with us as a church, both individually and corporately, as we seek to help each other follow your son, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, the savior, the Messiah of our lives. May we glorify you in all that we do. In your name that we pray, amen.